This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there. Good evening. And what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S on all of the social media. Our telephone number, if you want to join the conversation, 833, the number four, Valdez, my last name, 8334 Valdez. And it's International Women's Day. Listen to this. 77% uh, of voters believe that Biden's Title IX rules are harming women. Nearly 80% of the general election voters believe Biden has made changes to Title IX, allowing men to compete against women in sports, and this actually harms women. Now, with the change, it's saying that uh, those who identify as male and or as transgender and are able to compete against women are actually harming the, the rest of the group. And this is now 77% of general election voters. Only 23% of respondents believe that this change is actually helpful. The poll of a thousand general election voters was geographically structured to correlate with the actual general election turnout that has a margin of error of plus or minus 3.1%. And it was conducted by McLaughlin, uh, McLaughlin Associates for summit.org. This is a, a big deal, I think. It's important to see how these numbers pan out because clearly the majority of people think this is a bad thing. Now, there's another poll out here, switching gears to the post-millennial. Two new polls have revealed that the majority of Americans believe that doctors and pharmaceutical companies should be able to be held legally liable for potentially harmful side effects that arise from minors taking puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones. And they are concerned about the effects of exposing children to the transgender movement. This is, uh, again, uh, part of the poll from... Uh, McLaughlin Associates, in partnership with Summit Ministries. 71% of respondents said they believe pharmaceutical companies and doctors who promote puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones for underage children seeking gender transition should be legally liable for any harmful side effects that arise. 29% said they should not be held liable. So how about that? And I'll tweet these out that you could see it. So you could see it. But fascinating to me that people want to hold doctors liable. And I'm wondering how many people, and I don't, I don't see it in here. It might be in here. But how many would want to hold um, doctors or pharmaceutical companies liable for, for injuries related to uh, COVID vaccines, for example, where we now know that there's a lot of new information that's come out about that, in particular today, right? So we've got 
Dr. Anthony Fauci on, let's see, I think it's on CNN. And he says, well, well, you know, well, it's, uh, it's the Fauchster here. And uh, it's very tough. It's very tough to tell exactly what's going on. But uh, listen to uh, Anthony Fauci on CNN. Are the FBI and Energy Department right about the lab leak? Well, it's very tough to, sell, to tell that, uh, Anderson, because they're talking about information that they have that we don't have privy to. So we don't really know. They have made opinions on low confidence from the Department of Energy and moderate confidence, I believe, from the FBI. So I don't think there's a, a really correct and verifiable answer to your question. Uh, it's just still remains unknown at this particular point. There are two theories uh, as we're all familiar with now, one is a lab leak theory. The other is that it was a natural occurrence from an animal spillover. The one thing is that we have to keep an open mind about this until there's definitive evidence. So that's uh, Anthony Fauci, director of the NIH, uh, which is part of the CDC. He's gone now. Uh, but his boss, Dr. Robert Redfield, who ran the CDC, was in the hot seat today in, on Capitol Hill and he had something different to say. Um, he says that he wasn't even privy to these conversations when that happened. And he also adds that um, there was American tax dollars that were contributing to what they call gain-of-function research, where we tested this, or at least we paid for the Wuhan Institute of Virology to mutate this virus and test it and make it more lethal uh, as it was engineered in a lab. Uh, this is uh, former CDC director Robert Redfield today saying, absolutely, Wuhan was conducting gain-of-function research. Listen to this. In one sentence, can you provide a definition of gain-of-function research? And I, and I say that because there becomes a little semantics sometimes, I believe, within the scientific community of what, what, what is a chimera and what is gain-of-function. Yeah, I think it's to take a pathogen and try to increase one of two things or both to increase its transmissibility or its pathogenicity. I disagree with some of my colleagues at NIH to say the definition is restricted to a pathogen that's already a pathogen. If I make a non-pathogen pathogenic, that's gain of function. So in your expert opinion, was the Wuhan Institute conducting gain of function research on absolutely. coronaviruses? Thank you. So there you go. That's uh, absolutely is a rather absolute answer. And that's, again, Dr. Robert Redfield. Uh, now, he goes on to say that he um, he also says there's no doubt that the NIH funded gain of function research. Listen to this. Dr. Fauci was affirmatively told in, told in an email that uh, NIAID had a monetary relationship with the Wuhan uh, Institute through uh, EcoHealth Alliance. He, he was told this in January 27th of 2020. Do you think that Dr. Fauci intentionally lied under oath to Senator Paul when he vehemently denied NIH's funding of gain-of-function research? I think there's no doubt that NIH was funding gain-of-function research. Is it likely that American tax dollars funded the gain-of-function research that created this virus? I think it did, not only from NIH, but from the State Department, USAID, and from DOD. That's, again, Dr. Robert Redfield uh, spilling the beans on what people were uh, surmising way back in the day, uh, two years ago or whatnot, and now it seems clear. Plus, uh, the same type of um, ruminations that were out there, the, the, the sentiment that was, was building amongst people, there was consensus that, that the January 6th um, 
riot or whatever you want to call it uh, was was somehow organized and almost invited and you know um, by the police that were there the Capitol police uh, well there's video that we talked about and uh, we'll talk about a little bit more if there's more to add to it I don't know how much more there is to add to it other than looks like Nancy Pelosi was not just asleep at the wheel but wanted a weakened situation to try and uh, portray something to happen at least this is what it looks like to me and Voila, she got what she wanted and probably then some, right? I think they, they didn't take all of it into account and, and, and now they, they probably regret that. But uh, the case is you, you see in the videos, you've seen the cops walking the horn guy who ended up getting like four years in prison for doing all the crazy stuff he was doing in the Capitol. Uh, but they let him in and they walked him and they guided him to the right place. So, again, unless that story is being told the wrong way and the video is lying, which uh, doesn't look like the video is lying to me. Uh, it seems that, you know, having one cop at the main place where they breached and, and and all of these things that we're just now seeing in the video that doesn't match up with the story that was originally told in the January 6th uh, committee hearings. Well, it seems that's that's all out the window. So we'll, we'll uh, continue that conversation as well. I also want to talk about what's going on at the border. There's a lot going on at the border, and we're going to follow up on on everything that's happening at the border straight ahead. So don't go anywhere. And again, phone number 833, the number four Valdez. Get me on social media if you want, at Rich Valdez with an S. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I've been briefed by the FBI, which is working with Mexican authorities, and senior department officials are working closely with our counterparts at the State Department. During this difficult time, I want to offer my deepest sympathies to the families of the Americans who were attacked and kidnapped. That's Attorney General Merrick Garland uh, offering his uh, condolences, thoughts, and prayers to the families of the two individuals that were killed uh, kidnapped and then killed or killed and then kidnapped in uh, Mexico, Matamoros, Mexico, um, recently. And that's not all that's happening. You've got more than 100 migrant kids that were found abandoned in a trailer in Mexico. So I want to get to the bottom of what's going on in, in Texas at the border and overall on this issue. Let's uh, bring in our guest. We've had him on before. He's always terrific. Samuel Rodriguez, Reverend Sam Rodriguez. He's president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference. Reverend Sam, welcome, sir. Thank you for having me. You bet. So um, what's your initial reaction to... Um, what's uh what's happening at the border I, I, it doesn't seem to me like anything is getting better in fact it seems like it's getting worse but maybe i'm just watching the wrong news tragic horrific all we need to do rich is go back a couple of years mm-hmm. back under the previous presidential administration things were different they really were regardless of any angst someone may have regarding pertaining to tweets and demeanors and mannerisms of the former president we can't deny the fact that our border was more secure during the Trump administration, arguably, than we have seen since back in the 1980s. All of a sudden, through the Biden administration, he literally handed the keys of our border to the cartels. And the tragedy we just saw in the past few days of Americans murdered by the cartels is a direct byproduct of the incompetency regarding the Biden administration as it pertains to border. There is no border security. We have an open border policy and we are living the consequences every single day. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I think it's really unfortunate. And I think so many people, when they hear words like this, uh, strong words, they think, but there's no way that that would be the case. There's no way our president would put us in this situation. Why would he do such a thing? Why would he allow more fentanyl? Why would we have, uh, I mean, they were complaining about kids in cages where Trump was trying to find out if they were actually with, you know, the family members and whatnot that they were saying were family members. Uh, and here today they found a uh, 100 kids abandoned in a trailer. Uh, this is just crazy to me. What do you make of this? What's the motivation? That's a great question. What would provoke President Biden to do even what President Obama did not do? President Obama actually deported an incredible amount of undocumented individuals, illegal immigrants, record-breaking, by the way, more than George W. Bush. Mm-hmm. It got him into trouble with, with certain immigrant activist groups. This is the complete opposite. Like, we've never been down this road before. And what's the trigger? What prompts them? I believe the operatives that control President Biden are fully committed to seeing individuals come in here that inevitably they believe will become part of a voting bloc demographic that will secure in perpetuity their hold as it pertains to power. They really believe that. They believe that if people come in here, that these illegal individuals come in here illegally, that they will inevitably be granted citizenship and hence have loyalty towards the Democratic Party. And I believe the motivation is political. It is morally reprehensible. They're playing with human lives. We have sex trafficking at record-breaking numbers. Fentanyl, over 100,000 Americans dead. And all we're doing is focusing on politics and holding on to power. Yeah, well, listen, uh, I, I totally agree with you. And, and I think, you know, um, when, when I have these types of conversations, I think to myself, my goodness, um, you know, no matter how you slice it, whether it's a political conversation, a spiritual conversation, a, a business-minded conversation, there is no angle that I could think of where this is a good thing, where where this massive, unchecked, uncontrolled immigration, um, unvetted at the border, helps anybody, including those that are coming in. I mean, some of them uh, may be achieving the American dream or steps towards the American dream. But we've seen already with this number of gotaways where they don't ever show up and they don't want any of the, no. the free services. They don't want uh, to be, they don't even want people to know they're in this country. They just get away. Uh, they're obviously here for no good. And, and it just, to, to me, it begs the question um, up to what point, right? How, how far do we take this? E- even if it's a, uh, uh, a sideways amnesty deal where Biden thinks, hey, look, I can't get amnesty uh, through Congress, but I could turn a blind eye up, up until X number and then, you know, we'll, we'll shut it down. But it seems like that number will never come. I don't see the shutting it down. I really don't. I, I don't see the Biden administration committed to securing the border, stopping fentanyl, ending sex trafficking, uh, taking away the power from the cartels. Mexico is a de facto narco state. We're, we're all privy to that. We're not ignorant of that. Uh, Labrador is completely scared out of his wits as it pertains to the cartels. And if I were a betting man, I would bet there's some sort of, un, you know, uh, under the table agreement. Uh, with that being said, I don't think there's ever a number. What's the number? I don't think there is a number. I think the Biden administration, those that control uh, the Oval Office, which I don't necessarily believe is President Biden with great due deference. I think there's a group of people that control and manage even the agenda items, even his, not only his talking points, but the ideology and social constructs coming out of the White House. I believe the agenda is open borders. It really is. They really believe in open borders. And they do believe in building a demographic. 
And again, there, you know, I believe in, in legal immigration. I do believe immigrants are a blessing when they come in here legally and they enrich the collective, what we call the American experience. But this needs to stop. I'm a pastor. What, what do I mean by that? I pastor in California. I've literally had conversations, my wife and I, with, with young ladies that are now in their early 20s that were sexually violated coming oh, over, coming over. I remember one girl, young girl in particular, and, and it, it, my wife and I cried. We wept. It, it really just broke our hearts. And I went back and I went, how in the world do we permit this? And for us to permit this as a nation, it really speaks to how much we have gone down the spiral rabbit hole of chaos and anarchy and tolerating absolutely everything. So there has to be some sort of wake-up call. When will it arrive? When will we have the collective wake-up call and say enough is enough, secure the border, stop illegal immigration, stop catch and release, stop the inflow of fentanyl, stop empowering the cartels. Let's do this. We need bipartisan support. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And in fact, uh, today, uh, a federal judge ordered a halt to the fast release, the catch and release program that Biden's running at the U.S. border with Mexico. And I want to get into that a little bit. Uh, we have about, about a minute to go uh, in this segment. But if you'd stick with us, I want to get you know your take on that uh, in the second segment, uh, because the judge is characterizing this as unlawful and something nothing more than a speed bump to promote illegal immigration. And I think that's uh, that's something that we have to take into account uh, because, again, it's kind of what I'm saying. I think Biden's using this as a, a, a somehow a backdoor amnesty deal. Uh, but even when you had an amnesty deal like with Reagan, it, there was a number attached to it. And it, like I, and I agree with you. It seems like it, it's not ending. There is no end to, to the amount of immigration that Biden will turn a blind eye to. So maybe the courts will put a stop to it. I'm not sure if that's going to be the case. Uh, let me just remind everybody that we're on with uh, – Pastor Sam Rodriguez, you could check out his website at PastorSam.com. He is president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference. You could check out that group on Twitter uh, at, and their handles, at NHCLC. I hope I got that right. (laughs) It's cut off on my screen, yeah. So uh, anyway, Pastor Sam, uh, you good to stick with us? I'm good, absolutely. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead, plus your calls. I see that we've got uh, calls from uh, a couple of people that have questions on this, and we're going to get to that uh, momentarily. Matter of of fact, I can do a quick one right now. Let's go to Bill in Pittsburgh very quickly. Go right ahead. Rich, I want to know if if anyone has any idea when this crap, when this crap that is being fed down our throats Day after day is going to stop. I mean, yeah. we are having. Pardon me. Yep, go right ahead quickly. We, we, all right, looks are, like the music kicked in. Bill, I agree with you. I think all of us are, are, are at our wits' end, especially like Pastor Sam said. You've got women that he's met personally that were uh, sexually uh, abused and violated on the way into the country. This is something nobody should tolerate. More to come straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. Thanks for the call, Bill. By the way. Our guest, Sam Rodriguez, will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. 
Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. America. Welcome back. We're on with uh, Pastor Sam Rodriguez, president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference. And I want to share a headline with you. A federal judge ruled that Biden's border policies are unlawful, just a speed bump for illegal immigrants. Uh, the judge ruled in favor of Republican Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody, who filed the lawsuit. And this uh, uh, happened earlier today. Uh, the judge striking down the Biden administration's use of parole to mass release migrants into the U.S. interior, finding the practice unlawful and accusing the administration of turning the border into a meaningless line in the sand. Judge uh, T. Kent Wetherill ruled in response to a lawsuit from the state of Florida, which alleged the administration's mass release of tens of thousands of migrants via humanitarian parole into alternatives to detention known as parole and ATD, is simply unlawful. It was a scathing opinion issued earlier today and blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to get into all of that. But the key quote here um, was that it effectively turned the southwest border into a meaningless line in the sand and little more than a speed bump for aliens flooding into the country. So, Pastor Sam, what's your thought on the the court weighing in? Hallelujah. Amen. Wonderful. (laughs) It's beginning. You know, we have our judicial branch, right? Our executive branch is failing us. Our legislative branch has failed us. We had a number of opportunities of finding a, a very tangible, viable, sustainable solution. By the grace of God, I was part of a number of these attempts, both with the Trump administration, actually with the Obama administration, working with a number of senators. Uh, even going back to George W. Bush and all the legislative attempts have failed miserably. By one or two votes, by the way, nothing significant. So now the judicial branch kicks in and says, listen, someone, there has to be one adult in the room, right? So hopefully (laughs) the courts come in and actually say enough is enough. We can solve this. If if Joe Manchin and and Cinema kick in, if if they would actually turn around and now with McCarthy in charge, if they would actually work together, there could be an immigration reform solution that I do believe is palpable and would solve the major issues that we're currently experiencing in the southern border. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, you mentioned working with certain senators. Uh, today, uh, Senator Lindsey Graham called for a military response to the narco-terrorism at the border, and uh, it was it was well-received by, I think, a lot of people. Uh, but it's interesting to me how we have, um, you know, everybody's up in arms, everybody's fed up with the problems at the border, and they're calling for the military. Uh, but you also have uh, spoken often about 
uh, the spiritual side of things and uh, the the spiritual awakening that America needs. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, I can tell you this. There's something happening in America, Rich, and that's not like wishful thinking. It's not spaghetti on the wall. Let, let's put things in perspective. We have an NFL football player who dies of cardiac arrest live on national television. Both teams gather around, begin to pray. He's resuscitated, praise God. The next day on ESPN, a major uh, broadcast, one of, the, one, of the, one of the sportscasters begins to pray, interrupts the program, prays on national television. Then we have the outpouring in Asbury, Kentucky, where the same demographic that's been deemed as the most non-Christian demographic, 18 to 25-year-olds, in American history, all of a sudden, they can't stop praying and worshiping and calling upon the name of the Lord. Then we have the Jesus Evolution movie. Rich, this can't be a coincidence. <laughs> I mean, you can't have all these things happening simultaneously and call it a coincidence. Here's what I believe. I believe God's not done with America, and America's not done with God. I believe that we are about to see America's mess truly become God's miracle. We stand at the precipice of a spiritual awakening where righteousness and justice, truth and love will once again emerge in this nation and enable us to be what Ronald Reagan so brilliantly articulated in the 1980s, a city on a hill. Yeah, well put, Pastor. So it sounds to me like uh, you sense uh, a revival, a spiritual revival coming to America. And I could tell you, I would welcome that with, with open arms. There's so many crazy things that we see, whether it's uh, the the perversion of children uh, to rampant crime and, and the craziness at the border. Uh, it would be a, a welcomed event in America should it happen. And, you know, it. I, I hope and pray that what you just stated as it pertains to a revival— that we will see it come to pass sooner than later. We need mm-hmm. it. We truly need a spiritual. Throughout the course of American history, there have been a number of awakenings that have, by coincidence, emerged out of very difficult, precarious times. So I do believe here we are again. Things are getting dark. Moral relativism, deconstructionism. We're talking about truth, logic, reason, common sense, faith, and hope have been sacrificed for irrational behavior, incoherent, illogical behavior where feelings are more important than faith and opinions are more important than facts. And we're about to see something. It's called the pendulum, my friend. And it's kicking back towards common sense and reason and truth and love and hope. And I believe we're going to be a part of that. That's my prayer. Now, Pastor Sam, let everybody know uh, where they can follow the work that you're doing and um, continue to to see uh, the impact that you guys are making. Well, yes, PastorSam.com, and, and if you're interested in following up on the idea of America's mess becoming God's miracle, I, I just wrote a book on that subject matter, Your Mess, God's Miracle, and it covers that item. It, it speaks about how this messy situation is about to become miraculous. If people of faith rise up, it requires people of faith to truly rise up, to do away with complacency and, and apathy and comfortable faith and comfortable Christianity and really take our stance as, as followers of Jesus. So it's your mess, God's miracle. It's available on different platforms, but it's pastorsam.com, and we're working on different movie projects, uh, different uh, you know, streaming platforms that we are engaged in and providing content that will lead to, con- to conversations that inevitably will lead to cultural reformation. In other words, we believe the best is yet to come. I know it sounds like <laughs> Pollyanna-ish, right, and optimistic, and like, well, how dare you? 
But I do believe that the majority of us Americans still have faith that we believe in family, that we believe in limited government, that we repudiate socialism and communism, that we believe we should have a spiritual authority and moral authority over our children, that we know what's best for our children, that we, that we really do believe in these values and taking care of our neighbors and loving one another. Uh, we believe in these values. The majority of us do. It's a silent majority, and we're about to see that silent majority reemerge and occupy space for the greater good. Outstanding. Now, uh, give us a quick sentence on, on, on the gist of the book. I know you gave us the title, but give us a little bit about the book. Yeah, the book stems from the Gospel of John, Chapter 9. It's a story about Jesus, crazy story. Jesus spits on the ground, and he makes mud, a ball of saliva, clay, and he places it on a man who was born blind. And that's how that miracle took place. So I use that as a metaphor and as a rubric of, you know what? God is an expert in converting messes into miracles. Family mess, relational mess, generational mess, national messes. He has the power to make a mess into a miracle. And God has that power, not only the power, but the inclination, the commitment to transforming our messes into miracles. And the process is temporary, but the promise is permanent. And that's, that is the heart of the book, Your Mess, God's Miracle. Santo, hallelujah. That was excellent. Well, Pastor, I want to thank you, brother. I really do. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. And uh, I'm ready to buy a few copies of the book, give them out to all my neighbors and start evangelizing. <laughs> but uh, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Hope to, to speak with you again soon. You're amazing, great friend. Thank you for having me. Take care. You bet. God bless. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more. 833, the number four, Valdez. 833-4-Valdez. We're going to continue our discussion on, on the border as well as January 6th and uh, the the craziness that we're hearing coming out of Capitol Hill today where the former CDC director says he was not in the loop with Fauci and that, yeah, this thing looks like it was engineered in a lab. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's me, Rich Valdez. I'm here with you guys. And, you know, it was a nice message to hear uh, from Pastor Sam uh, that you can turn messes into miracles. And I'm very hopeful that that is, in fact, the case. Uh, but there are realities. And one of the realities is that the things that we see at the border uh, that make headlines aren't always um, isolated. Sometimes they happen more, more than we think. And uh, with that, I want to go to Manila, Philippines, and check in with our buddy Gil. Gil, welcome, brother. Yes. Um, uh, today, it's uh, for me, it's good afternoon. Um, but what I wanted to say is this. Uh, I think you know that I lived on the border for a long time. Uh, yeah. Did a lot of business, legal, legitimate business in Mexico. Uh, and... Um, First of all, I want to take take you to task for something you said yesterday. There all are right. very, very, there are a large amount, very, very large number of excellent medical practitioners in Mexico. Uh, many members of our healthcare system in the United States got their training in Mexico. The doctors, mm -hmm. large number. 
But, yeah, well, I didn't anyway. say anything disparaging um, that. I, I said I had no, a guest your, who was disparaging your, medical your tourism. Sure yeah, definitely. Yeah, your guest, your guest sure did about plastic surgeons. Uh, I have... I, I don't know if he's still alive. He was a good friend of mine in, in Chihuahua, Mexico. He did all the plastic surgery on all of the the, the, the well-paid people in the media in Mexico, the television stars, the movie stars. He was right. their plastic surgeon, and he was great. He, he did a job on a friend of mine. Um, but anyhow, that's not really why I call. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason we're getting so much publicity uh, about this particular incident is because we have the video. There's a right. saying in the newsroom, if it bleeds, it leads. And you can flash that video all over the place. It becomes viral. But thousands of Americans are kidnapped and murdered in Mexico every year. The statistics are up on the Internet. And yeah. mm -hmm. we never well, I was just going to say. It. You're, you're right. Because and, and, it's become so commonplace. Yeah. I was just going to say, I have a buddy who lives, uh, used to live in L.A. Now he lives in San Diego. And uh, he constantly would um, be at his wits end uh, battling with his mother-in-law because he was married to a girl who was of Mexican descent. And he would ask his mother-in-law not to go into um, Tijuana or to Rosarito because there were these kidnappings and they knew that they could, you know, they could get you for four or $5,000 by kidnapping one of your in-laws. And he was like, I don't want to have to pay the ransom. And he knew people this was happening to. And on their local news, it was, you know, it was all over the place. So yeah, you're right. And that's not something I think most people know, unless you live down there, you know, near a border kill. Yeah. And one last comment, if I may. Of uh, course. Mexico, Mexico has, in my opinion, has one, possible salvation that we go back to the era of the uh, 1920s and 1930s and there's a strong man that runs the whole show and he doesn't care about drug money and they reinstate the death penalty and they they clean the slate because that's the only way they're going to get rid of this it's just because americans put so much of this stuff up their nose and they take the sentinel and and other things that uh, uh, we're financing it, and we're making a lot of people rich, and uh, we're our own worst enemy. That's Couldn't have said it any better myself. I think you're 100% right, Gil. If, if there wasn't such a demand, there wouldn't be such a supply. And I realize when we see these cases of, you know, rainbow, um, rainbow-colored fentanyl that looks like Skittles and whatnot— that's, you know, demand generation. They're trying to create demand. That's why they're going after people that are younger and younger. And uh, when you see fentanyl being used for um, counterfeit Xanax pills or counterfeit Adderall pills, um, these aren't people looking for fentanyl. These are people finding fentanyl looking for other um, drugs that they're trying to buy. So, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying, but I realize that there's also an attack, right? There's an attack in, in addition to the uh, massive demand that we have here. And uh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. I appreciate it, brother. Okay. Thanks All right, very good to much hear from for you. listening to the rantings of a crazy old man. Nah, you're not a crazy old man. You're like an expert who lived on the border and has a lot to offer, uh, a regular on this program, and I thank you for your thoughts. Gil in Manila, Philippines, listening online. And by the way, if you want to listen online, you can always listen online live by going to Rich Valdez 
AmericaAtNight.com. Rich Valdez, AmericaAtNight.com. You could stream the program, just hit the Listen Live button, or you can just listen to any one of our programs because the entire archive is there for you to look at uh, which guests you may want to hear and pick the day or time of the program you want to listen to and go right ahead and do that. So make sure you uh, subscribe to that through your podcast app. If you have a podcast app and you subscribe to podcasts, I encourage you to subscribe to America at Night. Uh, And uh, this is America while you're at it as well. That's my other podcast. Anyway, uh, we're going to continue with your calls and uh, our conversation on January 6th and everything else. Plus, uh, we're also going to have a conversation um, in a little bit on what is going on with public unions. Uh, So that's uh, part of our agenda, as well as uh, a look at the familial makeup of Alex Murdaugh and his family, that's the gentleman who uh, murdered his wife and son and tried to cover it up and, uh, like a genius, went to Google saying how to dispose of a body, of all things. Anyway, we're going to talk about all of that and more, plus your calls. 833, the number 4, Valdez. 833-4-VALDEZ. I'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's me, Rich Valdez, and uh, you could get me on um, Instagram at Rich Valdez if you want to see some of the pictures from some of the stuff we've been doing lately. They're all on there. I think I put those on Facebook as well. Don't do too many photos on Twitter. Kind of keep it to the short, pithy, uh, newsy stuff on there. So I use them in different ways, these social media, but I always try to interact with the, uh, the listeners, and I appreciate you guys letting me know where you're listening from and which of our wonderful affiliates you're listening from and what great state you're in. Um, but I want to continue the um, the line of thinking I was on earlier where we were talking about January 6th a little bit. And again, I don't know how much more we can add to saying, I think it was an inside job. It looks like Pelosi was not just asleep at the wheel, but really um, didn't do anything to to protect it. And I think it got out of hand and shame on them. And by them, I mean the Democrats that were in charge, because I think we've had now at this point, we've had the former secretary of defense on this program saying that they authorized the National Guard. We had the chief of staff to the um, Pentagon on this program saying that they authorized 10,000 National Guard troops and Yet that didn't happen until way later, and it was because they didn't accept the offer originally, both uh, Mayor Bowser and Speaker Pelosi, who was in charge of everything. So that's that's a given. And now that we've seen Fox News Channel put this information out there in these new videos that were released by Kevin McCarthy, uh, it seems pretty clear that he's being transparent and that they're just making stuff up, (laughs) sadly. But... Let us see if we could squeeze this audio clip in. Uh, cut number 14. Go right ahead. Because of the footage that you gave Tucker Carlson, 
Boston. Last night he went on and said this was a mostly peaceful chaos, as he said. He downplayed Brian Sicknick's death, said it was not related to January 6th, said this was not an insurrection. Do you regret giving him this footage so he could whitewash the events of that day? No. Um, I, I said at the very beginning, transparency. And so what I wanted to produce for everybody is exactly what I said, that people could actually look at it and see what's gone on that day. So. But why, for, well, why for, Mr. Speaker, Each person come up with their own conclusion, but I, what I just want to make sure is I had transparency. You because I know in CNN, I mean, I had here where you guys actually broke where we were. This was a secret location, Fort McLaren. I don't know if you got concerned by that. I don't even know from a point of view of security if we could ever be taken there again. But when you broke that at CNN, that was a real concern to a lot of people. I had a real concern also when I wanted to make sure transparency. All right, so that's Kevin McCarthy. And McCarthy is setting the record straight, saying, no, he doesn't regret giving the video to Fox News channels, uh, Tucker Carlson. So we'll continue that conversation straight ahead. Plus, we're going to talk about public unions and the impact that they're having. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. I'm Rich Valdez. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And um, lots of um, lots of things to discuss tonight. We've discussed plenty thus far. And I want to jump right in to a conversation with our next guest because, uh, in my opinion, uh, this is something that doesn't get enough attention. And what we're talking about is public unions. Public unions um, have a lot, a lot, a lot of power, and it, it's fascinating to me how it seems like it's all one-sided. So I want to bring in the the chairman of Common Good, Philip Howard. He's the author of Not Accountable. You could check them out at commongood.org. Philip Howard, welcome to the program, sir. Nice to be with you, Rich. Yes, sir. So... Let's um, let's dig into this, and we have a little bit of time, so you don't have to rush through it. But I'm really curious to know why why did you put an emphasis on public unions? Well, you know, I've spent uh, I don't know <laughs> several decades writing about why people in government can't make sense of daily choices, and what are the things that make it hard to fix schools or you know spend money wisely or whatever. So I've written a bunch of books. The first book is called The Depth of Common Sense back in the mid-90s, and I've advised every president since then. Uh, and I just keep digging in deeper into why uh, government seems to function so badly. In any event, uh, I finally landed on something I always knew about but, but never really questioned, which was the complete lack of accountability of public employees within government. And what that makes it 
hard to do is actually reform government, make it simpler, because you can't, you know, I think government officials should have more authority to make sense of daily choices and not be weighed down with thousand page rule books and stuff. But you can't give them that authority if they can't be accountable. And accountability in American government is basically near zero. It's like 0.01, 0.02%. Two teachers out of 95,000 were dismissed for poor performance in Illinois over an 18-year study period. I mean, nobody. <laughs> so, so if you don't have accountability, then democracy really can't work. Yeah, that makes sense. I want to read a, a short uh, passage uh, from from some of the acclaim on your book. The Wall Street Journal recently profiled your your work in its uh, weekend edition, and part of what they're they're discussing and what you're discussing is that it's just not efficient, right? You're saying that it's it's they're designed for inefficiency, describing how these unions just don't get it. And there's a, a distinction between public unions and private unions. Is that right? Yeah, oh yeah, huge. And so the people don't understand it, but the the the, the dynamic both of, of negotiations or the leverage of the public unions is much more because uh, the government can't move out of town. <laughs> they can't go out of business. So the unions can bargain for whatever they want, whereas in a trade union like a car work, you know, auto workers union, um, if they ask for too much or if they ask for inefficient work rules, they'll lose their jobs. You know, that's just not true in the public unions. But worse, in, the, in, 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 in trade unions, it would be unlawful for management to collude with the union representatives. It has to be an arm's length negotiation. It's a matter of law. In public bargaining, it's nothing but collusion. The unions amass huge resources to get the person they like elected. And then they sit down at the bargaining table, not across from them, but on the same side. And tell them what they want. I mean, it's a, it's collusion. It's it's not a negotiation. It's a payoff. And uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the book itself. I know that you kind of uh, there's a lot that you work through in the book, but um, give us a little bit about the book. Well, the the book is a um, it talks about the history. You know, so public unions are relatively new. You know, private unions. There was a, the origin story. There was that manufacturers were mangling workers in the factories and the you know unions were really important for safety among other things back you know 120 years ago um, public union power only came in at the end of the 1960s as an afterthought there was no scandal and no reason for it public employees were already protected by civil service systems and such so it was just a power grab by the union leaders back then and they got away with it um, and, and as I said, the dynamic of negotiation was different. And so what they started negotiating for were things that were, you know, whatever they could get away with in the public eye. So they had very kind of obscure pension rules that, you know, where somebody could, could spike their overtime in the last year and double their pension, you know, things that you couldn't really figure out from looking at the documents. And, and they started negotiating work rules, which were designed for inefficiency. So, for example, trash collection in New York City caused double what a private carter 
the charge, the same in other big cities. I mean, if you're running a school, the principal is not allowed to observe a teacher without advance notice and very strict conditions, not allowed to give extra you know, training to a teacher who needs help except for so many minutes a month. It's um, And there have been studies of this. It's basically virtually impossible to manage public departments sensibly. I had a friend who was a deputy mayor under Bloomberg who tried to go around to the offices and ask public employees for their ideas about how to make things work better. And he was called on the carpet that that violated the union rules because you can only allow you're not allowed to talk directly to the public employees. You have to talk to the union reps. So you're talking about a system that's just basically designed designed for inefficiency. The unions sort of are kind of co-run government. The people we elect to run government no longer have that power. So, you know, the, the central theme of the book is, is that, yeah. you know, democracy can't work. We elect people who don't have the authority to run government. And something you wrote, uh, the insidious nature of union controls is that they make government work badly while also preventing reform. And uh, I think that goes hand in hand with your notion that no one elected these unions to co-run the American government. Tell us how you think we fixed this problem. Well, you know, everyone's sort of given up on it and hasn't really thought about it for decades because the unions have become so politically powerful. I mean, they, they mainly support Democrats, but they're so powerful that even Republicans won't really take them on because they'll amass tens of millions of dollars from national unions to go get some local, you know, Republican unelected. I mean, they're really brutal politically. But no one had really thought about the union problem through the lens of democratic governance. And so that's what I do in the book. I say, well, wait a minute. You know, what is it? How can the Constitution, the United States Constitution, how can it, how can it sanction a situation where really across the country – the voters have effectively lost their authority over government. They elect people who don't have control of the operating machinery. And there is a provision of the Constitution. I talk about several provisions, but there's one provision called the Guarantee Clause. that's never been applied in a court or anything, but it's there and it's quite famous. And James Madison talked a lot about it. And it's in Article 4, and it says that the United States shall guarantee to every state a Republican form of government. And what he said that meant was states could have their own form of democracy and such, but whatever form they have, the person who the voters elect has to keep the power over government. They can't, as Madison put it, give it to any group of nobles or any favored class. In other words, once you have government power, you've got to keep it and then be accountable to the voters for it. And what's happened with the unions is the legislatures, through collective bargaining and other controls, have basically given away governing power to the unions. And I'm arguing that's clearly unconstitutional. All right, folks, we're on with Philip Howard, chairman of Common Good. He's author of Not Accountable. Um, Philip Howard, let everybody know how they could get a copy of the book. Oh, well, it's, 
you know, it's available anywhere, and Amazon is doing is doing quite well. It's had lots of reviews, and uh, you know, mainly from the right. Although <laughs> the left hasn't said anything about it because I think they really know that the book is accurate. <laughs> but you know, what are they going to say? So they're sort of ignoring it. But you know, the, the Democrats I know, um, and I'm I'm not I'm, I'm an independent, but but the Democrats I know would love to get rid of these union controls because then they could run government better. But they can't say anything because the unions will, you know, (laughs) will bash them in the head with their political sledgehammer. Well put, sir. Well, I want to thank you for being with us tonight. I want to wish you much success with the book. Again, check out the book, Not Accountable, and uh, by Philip Howard, chairman of Common Good. The website for Common Good is commongood.org. Philip Howard, thank you, sir. Nice to be with you, Rich. Likewise, have a great night. More to come straight ahead. Your calls and more, 833, the number 4 Valdez, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. No hair, no care, and live on the air, it's Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And, um, yeah, a really interesting topic there with Philip Howard. It's uh, accountability, which is basically non-existent in American government today. Uh, Performance doesn't seem to matter. Many public managers say they've never even seen a public employee dismissed for bad performance. Uh, The Minneapolis Police Department received 2,600 complaints in the decade before the killing of George Floyd in 2020. Twelve led to discipline of which the most severe was a 40-hour suspension. So when you have that type of um, accountability, which isn't accountability at all, you can expect misconduct. And it it just fascinates me that we've created this culture where right doesn't matter, just succeeding, you know, matters. And it it doesn't always mean doing the right thing. So just a little something to chew on there. And uh, I'll tweet this piece by Philip. Uh, It's in National Review, but it's a really, really good piece on public unions. I also wanted to bring your attention to the uh, some of the headlines here, because our producer, Mr. Hinton, he's in the studio. He um, he tells me, oh, what's this? We've got a uh, breaking news alert from the AP. And then he comes back and says, well, it's not really breaking news. It's just uh, Russia's launched a barrage of missiles into Ukraine. And he said, you know, that's not necessarily a new headline. I agreed. However, I said, let me take a look at, you know, the website breaking911.com to see what's going on. Listen to these headlines. Attempted $32 million airport heist leaves two dead. And there's holes in a Delta aircraft after a gunfight. Now, that's a story. Here, we got another one. Man brings two women home from casino, is robbed of expensive items. Now, that I know happens quite often because I remember uh, my uh, my brother was once the director of security at a hotel in New York. He still is, but at a different hotel. And uh, there was a celebrity who shall remain nameless, showed up and um, 
had not one but two uh, expensive uh, gold necklaces stolen from him after um, inviting uh, some some young ladies to his room. So <laughs> you got to be careful when doing that stuff. My goodness. Now listen to this one. Crews responding to a fiery train derailment. Yep, that's right. There's another train derailment. This one in West Virginia. Three injuries. Let's continue. There's a video of a biker flipping off the police in Florida after he runs a red light. He gets hit by a truck. Wow, talk about karma. And this one is, wow, this one we might have to delve into maybe in the midnight hour. New York City man burned his ex-girlfriend alive for selling his comic books, according to the district attorney. Here's one more. My kids just watched their dad get shot. This is a Dunkin' Donuts employee that was arrested for shooting a customer after an argument. And then an update on the six-year-old who shot a Virginia elementary school teacher will not be charged at all, according to the prosecutors. <laughs> Lo and behold. Now, listen, of all those stories, and I had some other stuff I wanted to talk about, but I got really distracted by this, and I think it's really interesting. Um, this New York City man burning his ex-girlfriend alive for selling comic books. This is a crazy story. The Brooklyn District Attorney, Eric Gonzalez, has announced that a 28-year-old man in Brooklyn has been arraigned on an indictment in which he's charged with first and second degree murder, kidnapping, and other charges. For allegedly tying a woman to a chair and fatally lighting her on fire inside an apartment in Cypress Hills. The defendant was allegedly captured on camera buying twine, a lighter, and lighter fluid at a nearby bodega shortly before the attack. The district attorney said the brutal and completely senseless murder of an innocent woman allegedly perpetrated by this defendant shocks the conscience. This kind of depraved conduct will not be tolerated in Brooklyn, and we're committed to seeking justice on behalf of the victim and her loved ones. Man, listen, I agree with him. We should bring this guy down to the border to see some of the carnage that they're doing. Now, this uh, district attorney identified the defendant as LaShawn Duffy, 28 years old, of Brooklyn, New York. He was arraigned today before the Brooklyn Supreme Court in front of Justice Danny Chun on an indictment in which he's charged with that first and second degree murder charge I mentioned. He will be back in court on May 3rd. Now, listen, there's more in this, but I'm not going to get to all of that. I just think this is, who does that? Who actually lights somebody on fire because they sold your comic book collection. Obviously, LaShawn Duffy does. But my goodness, I mean, I just, I can't even begin to understand how that works out. Absolute crazy. Anyway, um, speaking of murders, that case where um, Alex Murdaugh, the um, the famous... Um, lawyer who was part of his whole family were lawyers, powerful lawyers. Um, you, you heard that was the whole news, like every news cycle for like five or six straight days last week. I didn't want to talk about it because it was just everywhere I went. And I said, nobody wants to hear about that. But I found an angle that I thought was interesting. And it's from the perspective of his family. And how those familial relationships play a part in how people develop into these, you know, um, 
crazy type of killers. So we're going to get to that straight ahead because um, I really want to get a take on that. But very fascinating how this guy had everything, decided to kill his wife and kid, and then Google how to dispose of a human body, thinking that was a good idea somehow. Anyway, keep it locked right here. More to come straight ahead. We got Heather Dugan coming up on the other side. And uh, I don't think you want to miss it. I'm Rich Valdez. It's America at night. Welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way. Check us out at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, like I was mentioning before, this um, this case of Alex Murdaugh and uh, how he, you know, just decided to kill his wife and kid, it it made big, big headlines. And it, it, it was a, just a horrible thing, in my opinion. But there's more to that dynamic that I think than we have been seeing. And to help us get to that, I, I wanna I wanna bring in a relationship expert. She's the author of the friendship upgrade, Heather Dugan. You could like get her at heatherdugan.com. And I wanna get a, her take on the family angle here, or as it's put here, the myth of the good family. Heather Dugan, welcome. Thank you, Rich. It's good to be with you. Oh likewise. Um, I, I wanna share outright. I am not a true true crime fan. I'm, I have a weak stomach. <laughs> but I do find meaning, as you're saying, in, in repurposing the tragedies and challenges, whether in our personal lives or the headlines, and, and, and doing something useful with the information. Um, yeah. You know, we forget their real families. You know, we dropped into their lives at a climax. And I can guarantee you that Maggie and Alec Murdoch did not walk into this life they were going to build together with this as a destination point. Yeah, 100 uh, percent. I mean, and who, who expects that? Right. And, and it, mm-hmm. it's interesting to me that, you know, one would think on its face and I guess maybe it's my own naivete. But I would think, you know, if you're generations and generations of wealth and power in, as, as lawyers in, in South Carolina and, um, you know, just well known for this and living in a 1700 acre estate. And, you know, it seems like you got everything in the world. Um, Why would you go and kill your wife and kid? Right. I mean, that's the part I think that boggles the mind. It it really does. And and obviously this goes back way before that moment. These are a series. Mm -hmm. You don't just jump off a cliff into a tragedy. It's a, it's, it's a bunch of little steps that move you closer. And it's, it's like boiling the frog, you know, one thing's okay. So the next thing, you know, if you can justify one thing, you can justify the next. And unfortunately there comes a point at which, you know, it's so aberrant, it becomes obvious to all. And this became obvious in a very, you know, critically horrid way. Um, But, you know, we walk into our relationships with everything that we've learned, you know, in a childhood that I I like to point out to people, we learned our rules for relationships from peers who were just as immature as we were, you know, and in families that all had some degree of dysfunction. 
And if we don't take a moment somewhere along the way to analyze what's what's really you know, normal, so, you know, quote unquote, and and what might be off track, it's easy to get further and further away. And you get two families, you know, two individuals perhaps that have a couple of things that, uh, you know, that they may approach in a way that's not healthy. It's so easy to fall into these cycles where it just gets worse. It's a spin cycle. And then you get to a crisis point. So let's talk about how uh, the, I guess, dysfunction within these familial relationships can mm-hmm. can lead to something like this. Right. Well, when you're in a dysfunctional relationship, you know, uh, especially it seems like there was an element of narcissism here. I think that was kind of obvious. Uh, it was commented on in a lot of other media commentary. Um, you, as the other party, and it's, it's a codependent kind of relationship, you don't always know if your feet are on the ground. Um, you know, gaslighting is a true and dangerous thing. Um, you lose your, you lose your context. And that's one thing that I really, um, focus on in my work is, is the importance of our connections in a, a broader sense. You know, we need good family relationships. We need good relationships, period, because they give us perspective and they allow us to see when, when things get out of, uh, out of the normal range. Um, but when you're living in that, um, you know, you get more and more isolated from other people. And I am certain that COVID has not helped, did not help that family. Um, there's so much of an, you know, we're still dealing with the aftermath of that. Uh, you know, we didn't jump out of COVID. It's more of a convalescent thing. Uh, but people got isolated and they began to behave. You know, we, we, we engaged differently socially. And, uh, you know, there was less, I'm sure for that family, that there was uh, less interaction with people that might have noticed some of the things that were off. And, and this isn't something that's just unique to the, the Murdoch family and, and right. that particular situation, but I think people see this all along. Uh, and just a uh, quick aside, uh, what you're describing about these dysfunctional relationships, I was on the phone recently with an old friend of mine, and um, she shared with me that she um, had a, a boyfriend that she thought was the nicest guy ever, and little by little he... he he was the most horrible guy ever. And, oh, yeah. uh, and it was fascinating how you know, the, the way this happened. She said she'd known him for 10 years before that as, as just friends. And, and yeah. I was just floored because this is somebody that is a, a very educated person, uh, a very reasonable person uh, that I would have thought wouldn't be susceptible to somebody that's going to gaslight them and, and tell them, you know, this is, you're the problem and, and, and just do all sorts of crazy things. And I was just so taken aback and trying to be supportive at the time of this conversation. But it just fascinated me that I think this could happen to anybody, right? That was really my takeaway was, you know, uh, she walked into this thing, I think, you know, with, with pure intentions and ended up leaving it, realizing that she had, you know, um, been involved with what she would say is a narcissist. And and I just thought, wow. And my thought was this guy could be a serial killer from the stuff she was telling me. I mean, some people are really rotten. Yeah, that that is out there, and you're you're pointing out a really uh, kind of a, a something that I, I see a lot with dating. Um, period. Um, I another, I have another book, Date Like a Grown Up, and one of the big things that I saw in the interviews, et cetera, is you know when we have that space in our life, if we have a need, it is real easy if we don't have that friendship, you know, that larger foundation of friendships, to go for the first available 
gap filler that we can find, the space filler. Mm. So, and it's kind of like, you know, looking for dinner at the convenience store. You know, you're not going to necessarily get the best choice for your life. <laughs> right. um, you're, you're filling the, a need at the moment instead of taking the long view. And, you know, we all have times of neediness in our life. You know, hopefully we're not around people that are going to take advantage of that. But, you know, you go through a transition. It can even be a positive transition. You move to a nicer home in a new neighborhood or you get a promotion. Um, any of those kinds of things can strip away the context of, you know, that your social context up to that point. And, and you have to rebuild those connections, find close people that you can confide and be real with in your new world. Unfortunately, uh, most of the time, our lives are fast paced. We're busy with the logistics of things and uh, the way we live now we have this digital reliance that allows us to you know procrastinate ignore be distracted so unfortunately you know we we miss the things that are more important in terms of our relationships and then we're open to to situations such as you're describing well put uh, folks we're on with heather dugan she's uh, the author of the friendship upgrade and date like a grown-up check out our website at heatherdugan.com and uh, we're going to continue this conversation and your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ. If you have a question you'd like to ask uh, Heather Dugan, uh, now's a good time during the break to give us a call. We'll see if we could get you on the air with her. So don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. That's 833-482-5337-833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We are here with our guest, Heather Dugan, author of The Friendship Upgrade and Date Like a Grown-Up. And Heather Dugan, um, we were talking about this Alex Murdaugh murder and using that as a a jump-off point for looking at how this, you know, is not just isolated to people in the news, but there are others that are out there that are narcissists and whatnot and um, involved in dysfunctional relationships. And this type of um, abusive situation, would you say that it's the result uh, or or due to the impetus of of a codependency situation or is it something else or a combination thereof? There are so many reasons and factors that go into these things. We make desperate choices when we don't feel like we have other ones. Um, and we tend to fall into the ruts we recognize. So, uh, you know, a lot of times a codependent uh, young adult will end up in a codependent first adult relationship, unfortunately, until uh, hopefully, you know, they, they recognize the, the cycle that they're in and are able to break it. Um, very sadly, we don't often, you know, take the pause that we need in our romantic lives to, to set things on an even keel. You know, it, it tends to take a crisis, and, you know, whether it's at midlife or quarter life or whatever. But um, we, we, we put those things off. Um, but, it, you know, again, the, the, when we can have this longer, if we can focus on building out or 
other relationships first, then we're in a better position to make good romantic relationship decisions for ourselves. Um, you know, we need that perspective. Otherwise, we're susceptible. Right. And for the people that are listening that are thinking, you know, my significant others just they're just a jerk sometimes, but they're not one of these things you're describing. How would one decipher, you know, or discern between the two? You know, am I involved with this abusive narcissist or is or is it it just somebody that is that way kind of tough to deal with? Right. And, And, you know, over time, you know, all relationships are work. I mean, I always think, you know, you fall in love with somebody you can work with. There is going to be work in there somewhere along the line and probably a lot of it. Um, what my baseline is, you know, are, are you, does this person allow me to be my best self? And am I able to help them in that regard as well? Or are we both squashing to fit, to make this fit? In that kind of a situation, you're not going to live a healthy life. And you're not going to be able to grow something that you actually want to live in. So change has to happen. The question of whether it's, uh, you know, based strictly on the relationship or if you personally need to, to make some choices and changes in the way that you live your life separately with that person, um, that can sometimes be, you know, both need to do separate things. But um, once you're in the pattern, it can be very difficult without some sort of a break to actually uh, break that kind of a cycle. Because again, you you tend to spin back into what you recognize. Um, We have these reactive responses that begin with, you know, somebody's expression on their face. You know, we aren't even aware sometimes of how quickly our own response is coming up. And it, and it might be related to the expression they have on their face at this moment. It might be that that expression reminds you of something that your dad did 20 years ago. You know, maybe that was a tough relationship, but it's important that we isolate kind of our own feelings and face that um, in order to be our best self and within a relationship. Um, taking that moment is hard though, but I, you know, I like to say your room, your elephant, you know, if you aren't able to <laughs> face what you've got in, in, in your life, you know, you're going to be living with it and, and it's not going to be taking up space that, uh, that you enjoy giving. Um, right. another thing that, oh, mm-hmm. go ahead. No, no, I, I was I was just, just, oh. it makes sense. Okay. <laughs> Another thing that I think is really important for people to to really take a look at is um, the way that we have let our digital choices distance us from people, mm. um, from those we love, including our children, perhaps, um, from those that might need our attention. Um, and the way that we use um, digital sometimes to distance ourselves from actually fixing a problem or facing a conflict um, texting is a great way to not have a conversation that you need to have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, emojis are not the same as a facial expression. <laughs> you you okay. get a totally different vibe. Um, so we lose social cues that typically have helped us to understand one another better. Um, and, you know, a lot of times the, the, the person that would maybe enhance our maybe a new friend or simply, a, a, you know, I have random meetings that just really spark my life that I love. But if you're scrolling through your phone or looking at a TikTok video, you know, you're going to miss that moment. And during COVID, we got more and more, inter- you know, worried about ourselves. We, we became self, self-absorbed. And, and that's, you know, it was a very 
challenging time. We were wearing masks. We couldn't even tell what was on other people's faces a lot of the time. Right. Um, and it's we've got to break those habits. Um, and you know, a lot of uh, people are having it, finding it hard to engage. Um, you know, and maybe they needed to back down a little bit. Maybe they were over busy and been overbooked before. But it's important that we make calendar space for you know, relationships that will add value to our life. hundred percent. Folks, we're on with Heather Dugan, and we're about to wrap with her straight ahead. I, I want to get a little bit of context on the book you've written, The Friendship Upgrade, and um, why are you telling me to upgrade my friends? So we'll get to that on the other side of this break. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Heather Dugan. She's the author of The Friendship Upgrade. And Heather Dugan, in the few moments that we have uh, remaining, I'm really curious, why do I need to upgrade my friendships? Well, you know, for a lot of women, I wrote this book realizing that a lot of women were able to more easily find an online date than a friend in their neighborhood. It's true for men as well. Um, it, we, the way we are wired, the way our society is working at this point, we don't, we don't always prioritize our friendships. And uh, that has a big impact on quality of life. And I wrote the book because I was one of these very sad women several years ago. Um, I'd been through a series of transitions, uh, divorce, deaths, um, career, and I had three young kids, and it was crazy busy. I was the, the woman racing in my bathrobe with the trash can just as the truck was rolling to the next driveway in the morning, you know? <laughs> so my life was a, I was a fixer-upper. And I, at some point, I finally realized that I was going to have to do the fixing, and that was that was overwhelming. But so I dug in. I'm, I'm a, I, I want to understand things. So I did, you know, I accidentally started a group for women that turned out to be a really tremendous community resource and started doing interviews and, and digging into kind of the, you know, the cognitive behavioral impact and the science behind disconnection and loneliness and how we can build better build our friendships and our communities because one lonely person is a tragedy but it is also uh, it impacts the community in ways we don't realize um you know loneliness is one of the root causes of addiction um i know you know it, it's many of our our social issues come back to that at at its crux so the book is really a guide to building your own network of friends. And I use the the word network, but it's really more of a weaving because network is so cut and dry, right? Dot to dot connections. Mm-hmm. Um, but you want to weave a tapestry of friendships and then you can support one another and um, everybody can be their best. Um, you've got, we don't say the best things to ourselves. You know, our self-talk can be pretty I, I, I at some point decided I wouldn't say anything to myself that I wouldn't say to my daughter. And that's that's a good way to clean up your language, ladies and gentlemen. Um, wow. But, yeah, but, you know, our friends show reflective truer image of ourself back to us. And then that enables us to make other 
good decisions for ourselves in our lives. Um, we have to have that as a foundation. Otherwise, we're kind of grabbing at whatever is, you know, like butterflies and fireflies, right? We're not, we're not making calculated, smart choices for ourselves. All right. And Heather Dugan, that's uh, fascinating, by the way. Um, let everybody know how they could um, keep in touch with you, keep up with the work that you're doing. Well, thank you. Um, well, heatherdugan.com is a great place to start. Dugan is D-U-G-A-N. Um, I do have books. I also do workshops and programs, both for, you know, singles and, uh, and connection type things, and then for corporate events. Outstanding. Heather Dugan, I hope you'll come back. I really enjoyed the conversation and um, looking forward to our next one. That sounds great, Rich. Have a good night. You too. All right. It's Open Phone America, and it's coming up right now. Get your phones ready. Start dialing 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. It's Open Phone America. Let's do it. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, a very, very good evening to you. This is uh, hour number three where we do open phones across America. It's one of my favorite parts because I get to connect with so many of you guys. And uh, we've had some interesting conversations tonight. And I always remind you in this final hour that if you missed any of the conversations we had earlier in the evening, then you got to make sure you go to richvaldezamericaatnight.com, richvaldezamericaatnight.com. You can listen live there. So let's just say you're on a station that doesn't carry every hour of the program. Uh, you can listen to every hour there. You can also uh, download any episode that you'd like, and you can subscribe and right through your podcast app. So make sure you check it out. You can also sign up for our newsletter to keep in touch with what's going on. RichValdezAmericaAtNight.com is the website. And our phone number, 833, the number 4Valdez, 833-4Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. Of course, the legacy line always remains open for your thoughts. So you can weigh in on this late night town hall, live and national, straight across America. Now, uh, earlier today, we talked about lots of things. And one of our guests mentioned something about we're missing so much of what's going on because we're too busy scrolling. And I agree with that, that, uh, you know, we, we do miss out on some of the things that are happening in life because we're looking at our phone, we're involved in some sort of e-activity. However, I will say, there's a lot of funny stuff when you're scrolling through that phone, <laughs> right? I just, I just was scrolling and uh, one of the accounts that I follow on, on Facebook, it, uh, it has a picture of a very large drag queen chasing little children who are running away. And it says, hey, kid, want to hear a story? <laughs> I thought that was really funny, <laughs> the way it's positioned. It was a really well-done meme. But uh, speaking of, of that topic, uh, there is a comedian, and his name is Rafi Bastos. And uh, he has a 
comedy event called Don't Tell Comedy. This is a short clip, but it's very funny. I saw this one on Instagram, and I said, I got to share this with you because it, it really it makes so much sense of, uh, of the things that are happening in today's world. Listen to this. I arrived here three years ago, still learning the language. English is a very difficult language. And you guys make English even more difficult than it should be. I don't know why. I saw the other day a person saying, don't call me he or she, call me they. And I was like, what the f***? It took me three years to learn I am, you are, he is, she. Be whoever you want. This is a free country and this is amazing. But this whole gender neutral pronoun is confusing for me. You know, let me tell you a story. I invited a friend to have dinner at my house the other day. And he was like, oh, I'm bringing a friend. And I said, of course, bring him. He was like, no, 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 no. Bring them. (laughs) So I bought a lot of food. (laughs) I bought briskets and pizzas and pastas. My friend showed up at my house with one person. So I said, where are they? (laughs) And he said, they are here. (laughs) So you tell them that they are going to eat all of this. All right. Uh, Yeah, this, uh, again, he found the silver lining in all of this pronoun craziness, but that is where we are. And I know that there are people out there that feel disconnected and they're concerned about their children and their grandchildren and how they're going to grow up in this environment. And, you know, this is lamentably where we are today. But I want to get your thoughts on that. So give us a call, 833-4-VALDES, 833-4-VALDES is the phone number, 833-482-5337. Let's go to Canton, Ohio, and check in with Debbie on WNIR. Debbie, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Oh, what a privilege to talk to you. Um, Oh, gosh. Can I first give homage to Jimbo? Um, of course. I miss him a lot, but you've been feeling his shoes pretty darn good. Oh, that's kind. Thank um, you. I'm enjoying you, too. And I was just listening to your last um, um, guest uh, talking about the disconnection that we all have with this thing. I'm a 65-year-old retired grandmother. Mm. I have two teenage children. I'm concerned about what I went through. But I'm more concerned about them. My two teenage grandchildren, I have younger ones too, but the two older suffered through this. And I see it now, and it really bothers me, you know, what they're dealing with now. When you and talk what are you about talking about specifically? Well, because they were vibrant. They're both still really good students. My oldest is going to Ohio State. As far as I know, she's doing well, but I do know she's suffering from anxiety, um, lots of issues with things. And then the younger one is about, he's a junior in high school, but they yeah. he was in baseball doing good. She was in band doing great. And then it hit the pandemic and, COVID and everything came. stopped. Yeah, exactly. And it just like ripped, it ripped everything away from them that they should have been doing 
and it, I can see the damage that it's done, and it really bothers me. I don't know if they could ever get over it, you know. I'm hoping yeah. and praying that they will, but, you know, uh, it hurt me too. It hurt all of us, but it really bothers me. I guess they'll probably do better than I will, but I just want to bring that up. It is a concern. A very it's a great point. And, and you know, and you Debbie, about, just to, and you hear about all these young women having serious issues with anxiety and depression, and you know, mm-hmm. wanting to kill themselves. I know my oldest granddaughter; she has gone. She has had. She's admitted that she's she's cutting herself. And this was a yeah. beautiful, vibrant young woman who had no issues until until. And so, you know, where did I have to blame it on COVID. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, you're not alone. There's, there are a ton of people uh, that are lamentably um, dealing with the same thing. And this is something we covered on the show not that long ago. I think it was three weeks ago where there was a report from the CDC that came out. And uh, it said that teens, especially girls, are experiencing more violence, suicidal thoughts, and mental health challenges than anybody else. And that was according to the CDC. And um, and they, they blamed it on a lot of different things. This is part of their youth risk behavior survey. And I, I thought, man, you know, I have um, well, not two teenage daughters, but two daughters, 121, 117. And I know they have their ups and downs with all of this stuff. But I saw in particular my high school kid how, you know, it was so difficult for her when when she had to go to online learning. Kind of like me, she's a people person. She enjoys the conversation with people and she likes to be, you know, around people. And when you are forced into isolation, it it's detrimental for, for some kids more than others. And and what you're saying is is correct. I wish, you know, in many ways that it was only a small group of kids that were going through this because that means most of them would have been spared. But the reality is I think most kids are going through this uh, because there was such a transition of of life was changed. And you bring up a good point. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya was on this program, uh, I think it was last Monday, and he said he wasn't sure if the, the impact on this generation would ever go away. Uh, meaning, you know, we might have to wait till the, the generation following these COVID kids to, to see the improvements and then get back to normal because he said they're so far behind uh, from his estimation. And he was one of the early critics of saying, don't close the schools. This is very bad for kids. And uh, and today there was a hearing in Congress with Dr. Robert Redfield. And one of the, um, the, the congressmen was, was arguing that we're at we're just scratching the surface at the beginning of the mental health problems that we're seeing from COVID. And I think a lot of people think we're, you know, we've seen all of it. I hope he's wrong. But if we are at just the beginning of seeing what's happening, there's a lot more mental health challenges to come for the, those kids that were, you know, um, uprooted and, and, and totally disrupted from their day-to-day uh, lifestyle when it came to the pandemic. So, yeah, I really appreciate your candor and your 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 concerns. And I think they're shared by many, including me. Uh, this is a, a legitimately genuine way to feel in today's situation with respect to COVID. And uh, it's it's sad, to say the least, Debbie. Yep. Uh, I just pray for all of those young teenage kids right now, uh, especially those uh, probably late 
like 16 to 20, that age group that missed yeah. so much of their formative years. Um, I, I, I pray that they will get back on track, especially for my two. I want them to get back on track. Um, I know they missed out on, on a lot. They were doing great. And then boom, you know, like things just kind of fell through the hole. So, all right. Well, thanks for talking to me tonight, Rich. Oh, you're welcome, Debbie. I appreciate the conversation, and I join you in that prayer. Uh, I think um, all of America joins us in that prayer as well. Hope to speak with you again soon. Debbie in Canton, Ohio, WNIR. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. There's more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more. The phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833 valdez That's Valdez with an S. All right, so I want to throw a few things out there. Um, may not get to all of them, and I'm pretty sure our producers will say, well, then don't throw them out there if you're not going to get to them. But they're just crazy, these headlines. Listen to this. So there's actually a, a push to have sports betting on WWE matches. Even though these are scripted matches, they're still thinking of doing that. We'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, Police are now saying there's no foul play for a body that was wrapped in a rug. Yep, this is uh, the suspected death of a Georgia dad whose body was found wrapped in a rug. They're saying, nope, no foul play. Uh, Then uh, an African bobcat known as a serval was found in Ohio, and when they brought it in to check it out, the cat tested positive for cocaine. Unbelievable. Then you've got the uh, another professional wrestling story here. AEW, one of their stars, Wardlow, had his title belt in his car when it was robbed, and they stole the belt from the car. Unbelievable. How do you leave your belt in the car, Wardlow? Unbelievable. Anyway, then you've got Mayor Eric Adams, elite Eric Adams in the city of New York. He um, he says that people uh, need to take your mask off when entering a store. This will help uh, with robberies and shoplifting in bodegas. Now, I find this uh, interesting, and I did a whole topic, uh, a whole uh, segment on Newsmax TV yesterday morning on this topic because I just thought it was absolutely ridiculous. And if you want to see that, you can check it out. I just posted the video to Instagram, at Rich Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez. But um, it, it, it's interesting to me, to say the least, that we have that going on. And, of course, uh, there was the hearing today where the CDC director says, yes, it seems that COVID was, in fact, a um, man-made, you know, engineered virus that leaked from a lab. Let us go to your calls, 833, the number four, Valdez, 833-482-5337. Let's go to Kim in Michigan on KDKA. Kim, welcome. Hi, Rich. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Um, what, what I was calling about is the guest you had about the the government unions and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yep, the um, public unions. 
Yeah. Well, what I thought was really unfair is the United States Postal Service Union um, is a quasi-government. It's kind of like a blend of government and private. Mm -hmm. But anyways, um, that's a massive union. And Biden declared in the beginning when the COVID shots came out that they would not be required to get the COVID-19 shot. And I thought, how can he do that? You know, just name a union that was one of his favorites, you know. And and then meanwhile, truckers got fired, the military got fired, police fire, emergency, airlines, doctors, nurses. You know, either you got it or you got fired. And, you know, that's just an example. What do you think of that? Well, I remember when that happened, and I remember at the time what uh, the president of the union representing the postal workers said was um, a number of our uh, members are minorities, and it's it's a prevalent uh, belief right now by minorities that that this is a not the right thing for them to do. Therefore, if we institute a vaccine mandate, um, we're going to lose more people than, than we keep. And that's going to slow down the mail, which is going to slow down commerce and industry and all the money that's made through the mail. And voila, they got what they wanted. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just not right. Especially now with, um, with the Pfizer documents, you know, the 455,000 page, almost a half million pages that, uh, the judge ordered to be released, you know, in batches. It's going to take about a year. Um, they found out that the COVID shot has 1,291 known side effects. Right. And there, that goes through the uh, VAERS system. Uh, and th- this is the problem with, uh, and again, this is something Dr. Jay Bhattacharya brought up where he said he felt that the COVID vaccine risk outweighed the um the, the 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 risk outweighed the benefit, or the benefit outweighed the risk. Risk, excuse me, for the older patients, you know, in their sixties that had the highest risk of dying from COVID, but that those that didn't, you know, they didn't need it. So, you know, his emphasis was on that group of elderly trying to prevent death, whereas the administration and others said, "Oh no, my gosh, we're just going to give it to everybody we can," whether their their motivation was financial gain or whether their motivation was, you know, just trying a blanket approach to get everybody. Which whichever way it was, I think it was it was the wrong thing to do and uh, it it really wasn't backed up by the science, so to speak. Yep. Yep. Um, and what that lady was talking about before me, the one that was worried about her her uh, grandchildren, you know, right? Um, what they allowed the teachers' unions to do in some of these big cities. Now, Florida didn't do it, but some of these big urban centers that have the worst educational results, they mm-hmm. shut down. I heard for a year, a year and a half. Yeah, our state was really bad, but they weren't shut down that long. But our state, we're going to pay for this for a long time, business-wise, school-wise, you know. Yeah, and health-wise. You're 100% right, Kim. Thanks for the call on KDKA. 
Uh, more to come straight ahead. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night, and it's Open Phone America. Give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. We're coming right back. America. Welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of these social media and our phone number. If you want to chime in and join the national conversation live and national here on our late night town hall forum, 833, the number four Valdez. And that's Valdez with an S, 833-482-5337. Now, uh, we're going to get to your calls momentarily, uh, but I wanted to... um, And just uh, remind everybody that if you're not subscribed to the podcast, you got to subscribe to the podcast. And you can do that by going to richvaldezamericaatnight.com, richvaldezamericaatnight.com. Now, one of the things that I was talking about on TV yesterday was how Mayor Eric Adams in New York City, or as I like to call him, Elite Eric Adams. Elite Eric Adams is um, clownish in many ways, but he's got some... um, He's politically astute. Uh, you know, he knows how to survive politically. I don't know that he knows how to govern. I don't know that he's, you know, a necessarily um, a bright individual. But I do know that he's astute when it comes to politics and trying to go for the win. And in this situation, I don't think he's trying that hard. He's not going to win on this one. He's telling people that, hey, look, coming into a bodega or into a uh, uh, another place of business, convenience store, what have you, uh, you're going to need to remove your mask uh, so that they could see your face. And then you can put it back on if you want while you're shopping. But they're trying to deter shoplifting that way. He also went on to say that good old Mayor um, Eric Adams, he goes on to say that we, you know, he says, when I was a cop, we had these things called private details. And, you know, sh- shop owners should consider hiring the police on a private detail. And I'm thinking, all right, come on. Listen, these people are opening their businesses in New York City and they're expecting that they're not going to get robbed. There might be some shrinkage, but they're not expecting for, you know, 10 or 20 people to come in with garbage bags and just clear everything off the shelves and for the police to do absolutely nothing to help them. But it seems to be that's the case. Now, I'm not criticizing the police for not doing anything. I'm criticizing Adams for not using the police effectively because the police are doing plenty. The problem is Adams isn't deploying them the right way by eliminating the um, the street crimes unit. The um, uh, what was that called? I forget what it was called, but it was a plainclothes unit where they went after street crimes. And this was a big mistake. It's also a big mistake to not to not prosecute people and to not put pressure on Alvin Bragg and other DAs that decide, you know, we're going to try and address racial inequality in our justice system, meaning less minority men in prison by prosecuting less of them. That's not how it works. You can't say we're going to lower the number of blacks or blacks and Hispanics in prison by, by just not putting them in jail when they commit crimes. 
that's the dumbest thing ever. But that is, in fact, what's happening. And that was the impetus behind the bail reform law. So just it fascinates me that that's the case. But again, I see guys are calling in. Looking forward to getting to your opinions on this. 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. Let us go to Paul in Zanesville, Ohio. W-H-I-Z. Paul, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, good evening, Rich. Yeah, um, well, you just explained that to me a little better. Um, I was calling in about Eric Adams and saying that's about one of the best things that he could do. Um, I mean, I think that people wearing those masks and everything just emboldened them. You know, absolutely. Um, for the yeah, for for criminals. I mean, there's cameras everywhere now, and if you don't have a mask on, it sure makes it a lot easier for them to you know catch you. But um, I think that's one thing he's done. That's a pretty good, pretty good thing. Um, you know, uh, COVID's over. I mean, uh, if you want to wear a mask, I would say take them off before you enter. You know, because we got to be able to see your face because I think this is how a lot of crimes uh, is being committed. You know, this COVID really screwed a lot of this stuff up and people oh, are yeah. wearing these masks to rob. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the cocaine cat is in Ohio. But, you know, it's funny. Uh, you're right. And and it, this this is what I initially thought would happen when they started discussing uh, the idea that we have to require people to wear masks. And look, I remember very, very clearly, I remember when this happened in New York, that there were people, uh, police officers at, at the direction of the city that were tackling people to the ground if they weren't wearing a mask on the subway. You know, at first they were giving them out and it was a big thing. They were like, hey, you could be a cop that says, hey, do you need a mask? Here, take one. Or you could be the cop that tackles you to the ground, tases you and handcuffs you. And, and they were using, you know, and different cops are doing it different ways. Uh, but the bottom line is the government had no problem enforcing the law and using the iron fist of the government to do such enforcement when it was COVID time. But now that it's robbery time, nobody's doing anything, right? They're yeah. just saying you should mm-hmm. get private police. Uh, you should, hey, you should maybe pull your mask down so they could see who you are on your way in. BS, bro. That's not how that works. You know, listen, I grew up in Brooklyn and I moved to Jersey when I was uh, 12 years old. And as a little kid, I remember going to, to Times Square, which is a horror show at the time. And as it got better, I remember my parents always remarking on, wow, look at how nice it is here. It went from having like not prostitutes, uh, but yeah, they were there. But during the day, there there were like these places where uh, peep shows and you could go and put a quarter in a machine and and watch women dance in the nude and whatnot. These things were all over 8th Avenue, 42nd Street. And little by little, they disappeared. And movie theaters came back. And, and the Lion King started their theater there. And the uh, the big, huge Disney store and a big McDonald's. And now Disney's gone, McDonald's is gone, and it's, it's going back the other way. But for, for over, I'd say probably two decades, uh, Giuliani and into Bloomberg, um, it survived. And New York was one of the one of the nicest places, especially Times Square, 42nd Street, 8th Avenue. That whole area was really clean and it was very Disney. And lamentably, that's not the case anymore. But I look at that and I think, man, the way Giuliani did it was by having paddy wagons all over the place. Right. The, the vans that were parked on every other corner and on every corner you had five cops at every corner. So you couldn't go far 
without them enforcing things. Then they utilized that broken windows theory where they said, look, we're not going to let people go for breaking windows anymore. You know, if you're a squeegee man, you're out of here. You're jaywalking, you're out of here. They were very, very tough on enforcement. And the word got out, you can't even spit or jaywalk anymore. You've got to follow the rules around here. And that's how they got rid of the major crime. So it's just an interesting uh, situation that we have in New York where they let everybody get away with everything and then they wonder why you have uh, violent crime that's uh, spiking. Paul, I'm, I can't. My, your guess is as good as mine. As much as, as, much as I hate to say it, I think that's uh, one of the things that he's done right and maybe a few more governors, mayors, whatever, should follow that rule. Um, you know, uh, that's that's contributing to a lot of this crime. You know, I can take nine hundred thousand dollars and, you know, not even have a problem. I mean, that's just crazy. That's just crazy, Rich. And uh, oh, thank yeah. you for your time that's, tonight, Rich. You bet. Thank you, Paul. Hey, yeah, and what Paul's talking about, just for everybody to know, uh, they're talking about how um, you, you can take um, I think it's it's nine hundred and fifty dollars worth of merchandise and, and not get charged with a felony. So, so most people go in there and they're robbing eight or $900 worth of stuff. And that's it. If there's no felony charge, the cops don't even get involved. So you could just walk right out of the store with your garbage bag. that's half full and, uh, and go about your business and go sell it on the street or live your life without having to pay for groceries and stuff. I mean, it's just fascinating that people would do this and live this way. Uh, and it's even, it's even more fascinating or I'd say shocking that, that we allow this to happen and, and nobody takes a, a firm stance against it. So we're going to continue with your calls um, with um, folks in Delaware, Indiana, and more places straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez. And uh, I want to read you this uh, headline here. Check this out. No foul play is suspected in the death of Georgia businessman whose body was found wrapped in a rug. This is in Baton Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Police are revealing new insight into their investigation in the death of of a Georgia father who died on a business trip to Baton Rouge. Nathan Millard lived in Walton County. He vanished in February after traveling to Louisiana for a business trip. Okay, so he vanished in February. Got it. Millard's wife, Amber, told uh, Channel 2 Action News that her husband went to a college basketball game, then to a bar, but never made it back to his hotel. Baton Rouge Police Chief uh, Murphy Paul spoke about the case on Tuesday afternoon, saying that investigators dedicated many resources to the ongoing investigation and found no signs of foul play after discovering Millard's body wrapped in plastic and rolled up in a rug around six miles from where he was last seen. According to police, investigators elaborated, saying there were no gunshot wounds or signs of blunt force trauma. Okay, uh, but um, why is he wrapped in plastic in a rug? Well, the East Baton Rouge 
uh, coroner's office also released a preliminary autopsy that revealed no internal or external trauma to the body. Investigators laid out a timeline of Millard's whereabouts, tracking his movements before he was found dead. Millard was last seen on video at 4.30 a.m. on Thursday, the 23rd of February. The time is much later than his previous last known location. Before this new revelation, Millard was last seen at 11.30 p.m. at Happy's Irish Pub on 3rd Street in downtown Baton Rouge. Now, Channel 2 News put together this updated timeline tracking Millard's whereabouts in the hours before he vanished. Police say that Millard did not appear distressed in any of the surveillance videos. The investigation is ongoing, according to Chief Paul, Even though police do not see signs of foul play, they're looking into how Millard's body ended up wrapped in plastic and a rug behind a funeral home. Final autopsy results are pending further studies, including toxicology testing. Now, I've got to tell you, I'm not a newspaper editor, but if I were, I would say, excuse me. And if I were the mayor, I would go to the police chief and say, excuse me. How do you not suspect foul play when you have a dead body wrapped in plastic and in a carpet? I mean, let's just be real here. That doesn't happen by accident. He didn't wrap himself up in the rug and then die in it and put himself in plastic, or did he? Is that what they're going to suggest? Obviously, there's foul play if somebody dumped a dead body behind a funeral home and they're going to say, well, he died of natural causes, but maybe somebody just decided to drop him off here. That's called foul play. Anyway. Uh, at least that's my take on it. Let's go to your call. Sarah in Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Go right ahead, Sarah. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, I I left New York in 87, and, yeah, Times Square was Slime Square when I was growing up there. Uh, but, you know, Adams, if, if he's going to be part of this uh, liberal movement of allowing people to use their racial background, poverty, whatever factor, as an excuse to, for, to commit crime, then don't be surprised when crime spikes. You know, I mean, if they let women off easy, all the women criminals would be out there, you know, stealing and doing their stuff. So they need to look at their philosophy with the restorative justice and the racial inequality. Guess what? Um, White people are way overrepresented in serial murders. Um, Does that mean we should go soft on serial murders to restore the (laughs) racial balance? I mean, it's crazy, you know? 100%. Imagine that. You'd be in big trouble, Sarah. Big, big trouble if you did that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's nonsense. They're just trying to uh, score political points at at the cost of human lives. I mean, I feel sorry for shop owners. And then what, they're, they're supposed to hire an off-duty cop who can afford to do that is that a solution you know yeah no listen i'm with you 100 percent, and uh, i think you're, you're spot on and, and your your uh, juxtaposition with the serial murders is is an appropriate one this is um it's laughable and you know talk radio listeners have been scientifically proven to be smarter than than regular tv viewers and and I'm not making that up. Uh, JustFacts.com did something on that a couple of years ago. But that's the reality. So I think people who are like, ah, listen, I don't watch the news. I'll catch a little bit of a clip here and there on Facebook or something like that, and that's it. Um, many people are uninformed, and they don't know what's going on. So they think, oh, he's doing a good job. The guy's a former cop. He's not doing a good job. There's nothing good that's happening right now in New York City. Uh, his weakness and his inability to go against Biden has a migrant crisis out of control with illegal immigrants all over New York City. You've got hotels that have been overrun uh, by by um, 
by these folks that are occupying the hotels. I mean, it, it's just, you name it, there's one crisis after another. Pretty soon, we might be able to say, bring back Bill de Blasio because he was a better mayor than Adams. And that's a scary thing to even think or suggest. Anyway, Sarah in Bedford, Indiana, WBIW, thank you for your call. Always a pleasure to speak with you. And uh, we're going to continue with your call straight ahead. I am Rich Valdez. It's America at Night. Give us a call. The phone number 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. phone number and the deep state couldn't handle it. They didn't want you to hear the number. It's 833. What is the number? 833-482-5337. Of course, our legacy line is still out there. 866-505-4626. And uh, crime is on the rise. Listen to this story. Uh, This is an interesting one here. This guy, this is a good one. 82 years old, accused of selling $800,000 in fake sports trading cards including rookie Michael Jordan cards. Uh, These Air Jordan cards were nothing but air balls because a Colorado senior citizen named Mayo Gilbert McNeil was federally charged for allegedly scheming with others to sell and trade fake sports trading cards, including these um, 1986 Michael Jordan rookie cards. And that's according to prosecutors. So crime is on the rise, not only in New York City, all over the place, including among senior citizens. So watch out, Golden Girls, because this guy's on the loose with his fake cards. Let's go to Hal in Seaford, Delaware, WXDE. Go right ahead. Hi, Mr. Valdez. Uh, Pleasure uh, talking to you. God bless. Likewise, sir. um, Thank you. you I, I, I went and grew up in Glen Burnie, Maryland. Okay, and that's right equal distance between Baltimore and Annapolis, right smack in the middle. Okay, Glen Burnie is just a little town area uh, that is like a utopia. Everything's there. You don't have to go anywhere outside of there to go and go shopping or go anywhere else to do anything. It's all there, all the, you know, everything that you want. The thing of it is that I want to knuckle down to, we had a light rail system that was put in place to go and help businesses uh, for people to go from Baltimore to come out to the counties or surrounding counties of the state in order to go and, you know, get, you know, be able to go and, you know, for transit to go and get somewhere to go and, you know, do the, yeah, people know, jumped on the light rail. Right. And so, okay. What that caused, and that was back in 89. What, what, co- what happened was, the uh, the ghetto, okay, I have to say it, okay, the ghetto in Baltimore got on there, and they started coming out, and they, what happened was they came down all the way to uh, Glen Burnie, and my wife uh, used to work at uh, the giant store right by the stop there where mm-hmm. where it ended. And uh, there was a shopping center there, and Giant Food 
owned the whole shop. We're going to run out of time, so try to speed it up, Al. Okay. All right. Well, okay. Anyway, what had happened was they had all kind of trouble and everything with the robberies and all of that, and they had all kind. Of, it was a lot of problems with that. Larry Hogan, just a couple of years ago, our, go- our governor, went and said that he was going to shut down. Uh, Did they end stops. up suspending the train? No, and and uh, so we and uh, also so st- what happened was do you still have the crime the problem. Landlords, yeah, and uh, still and what happened was the the rich people that owned uh, the uh, government the uh, uh, elderly housing and everything they went and sold out to the uh, the government and they bought that and they tore down the buildings and built up Section Eight housing. So it sounds like there's a lot of changes in that part of town. Hal, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Hopefully we'll get to the bottom of that uh, in your future call. Pleasure speaking with you. And as I always like to say, hasta la próxima. Until the next time, take care, good night, and God bless. This is America at Night. I am Rich Valdez. We'll do it again tomorrow. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.